We're starting a five, four-part, I don't know how long it's going to go exactly, Uh, I should know if we're talking about communication, but as we go into this series of messages on communication, it's a little bit intimidating, I promise you, to be standing here talking, trying to communicate about communication. You got to know there's some hurdles in that itself because you can critique how well I communicate and how well I communicate on communication. So this is going to be a challenge for me. Hopefully it's not as much of a challenge for you hearing it, especially as Lori and I will share together uh, throughout this series. Especially today, I'm going to be laying a lot of the foundation, but from this week forward... We'll be sharing a lot of the, uh, the teaching time in, in, in equality there, not just because we're trying for equality, but just because there's so much difference between the genders and how we talk and when we talk and what we're saying when we're saying what we're saying and what we're not saying, even though we may be saying something over here that sounds a lot like... Anyway, I think you know what I'm saying. It's difficult in this whole communication thing. In fact, I wonder sometimes in, when you talk about communication, is it an art or is it science? And I want to say yes to that. It is an art and it is a science. You can't move away from either one of those. It's, a, it's an art in the fact that it's a personal self-expression. I am personally expressing something inside of me And I'm hoping that you're going to hear it. The problem is, is because it's an art, just like art is subjective, it's also subjective on the other side. Even though I may say something here and it's really from my heart and I'm meaning it this way, the way it's received, and I know some of y'all are shaking your heads, you know what I'm talking about, the way it's received on the other end of that telecommunication or that just communication is totally different. You ever emailed somebody and meant to joke about something? And you, or you received an email and they were joking, you know, it gets lost in that whole translation. Communication is highly subjective, highly interpretive. You know, the way you say it and how you say it and all that kind of stuff fits so much in, into an equation. But it's also a science. There is order, there is grammar, there is syntax. There is, there's an element that has to happen to make sense at all. It has to be put in a proper order. I don't know about you, but when I was doing my graduate work, I would receive two grades on my papers. One was over my grammar and syntax and so forth, and another one was over my expression, over my research, over my my artistic view uh, of articulating what I'm believing about or whatever topic it may be. So even professors realize that it is both an art and it is a science. And it's not just one easy thing. I mean, take, take, take for granted, uh, t- take for example, the idea of whenever, if you're married and, and, uh, and the wife, I'm going to pick, uh, pick on her for just a moment, she says something down to the husband, all right, and the husband hears it and he executes whatever it is. Now, you can fill in the blanks in all of this, all right? I'm being very vague with it, all right? So you fill in the blanks. And so he executes to the period and comma exactly what you said. But then you come back and you say, but that's not what I meant. Has any of that ever happened to you? Will I get a witness anywhere in the room? Okay, okay, that means you can raise your hand, all right? And there's not going to be any fighting in this room. Now, what happens in the car when you leave may be a totally different thing. But this whole process of communication I think it would be easier to split an atom. 
than it is to communicate at times. In fact, I can remember in college, or in, you know, actually it was in seminary at this time, and I can remember studying Greek and the dead language of Hebrew. And I was studying them, studying syntax, studying grammar, studying vocabulary, and I was doing all of this, and my head was exploding. And at the same time, we were newly married. And I've already told you, our first years, we were oil and water, all right? We were total opposite, and we, our neighbors heard all of our arguments. That's how, that's how loud it was, all right? And so as we got married, and I'm studying this dead Hebrew language and this Greek language, I literally thought one time, I think it is easier to study dead languages than it is to be married. Because this whole communication thing doesn't happen easily. In fact, if you think about the processes of communication, and in your worship guide this week is a little insert that you might want to keep with you for the long run, all right? That's why we just put it on the back of the bulletin. Put it, keep it with you for the long run, post it on your refrigerator, keep it at your cubicle at work, because these relationship communication elements fit way beyond a marriage, all right? Now, I'm going to emphasize marriage, a lot of that, those examples, a lot, because it's, I think it's true and relevant to most of us, all right? But at the same time, these relationship communication processes totally fit into sibling relationships, fit into work relationships, team relationships. All of this is communication, all right? And so it's all going to kind of fit together. So if you think about this great big circle, and throw that up on the screen, guys, this in one single message, this is what is said. If you think about it, a message is formed in your mind, all right? Whatever that message is, it's formed in your mind. All right, you can see that over on, on the far left. Step one. All right, now I in, I'm intending to get this message out, so the message is sent. Email, text, vocally, non-verbally, all these elements fit into the sending off of this message to that other person. All right, let's just take it as a not text or an email or anything like that. This is just person to person. So the message goes across the room to the other person, and the content is heard. Emphasis on quotations heard, all right? This is where it gets convoluted. Now, it can be convoluted on the front end, because if you don't articulate it well, it won't be received well. I, I've said this before. If there's a if there's a mist in the pulpit, there's going to be a fog in the pew, all right? So you got to make sure you're very clear with your articulation. So you make a clear message, so you think. It gets over to the other side, and it is heard. Now, what it is heard through is through a bunch of filters, and these filters are as real as, as anything else out there. Now, they may, they may be inanimate. You can't touch them. You can't, you, can't, you can't dissect them. But it's so many elements, some past experiences, past relationships, past conversations, past, 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 fill in the filters. Let me just give you an example. A couple comes to my office having struggle with it, can't communicate. And they're saying, he said this, she said that. And all of a sudden, it all begins to fall apart. And really what it is, is this, this backlog. Could be years worth of communication, past experiences, that have clouded and cluttered the filters. All right? Unless the filters are cleaned. That's conflict resolution. We'll talk about that next week. Unless the filters are cleaned, the, the dirt, the grime stays. All right? And it can stay for years, depending on the offense, depending on the words, depending on whatever it may be. Then there's the perceived intentions of the speaker. This is all about that asterisk there. The perceived intentions. Okay, you said this, but you really meant this. I know none of y'all deal with this, right? 
those, those, those interpretations of what you really meant was this. No, I said this. This is what I mean. No, you said that, but you mean this. All right? Other issues in the listener's life, fatigue, stress, any of those elements all play into how, number three, how it is heard. So it's received. The meaning is assigned, okay? So now here's what you're going to do with the message. What am I going to do with it? It's going to make me mad. It's going to make me sad. I'm going to make me glad. How am I going to deal with this? And again, I, I don't have time for examples, but there are a plethora of examples of how one message could be intent, intended for good. You buy your wife a blender. She's been complaining about the other blender, right? Okay, and you wanted to make her happy. So you sent a message across the room to her. She didn't take it as a happy message. But your intents were, were, were and again, examples galore. So you assign the message. The message is formed now back, all right? Then the, the receiver responds, and then you can see what happens. Then the content is heard on the other side. All of this, again, heard. All of this goes back to the other filter. All of this over one message. Pick up eggs, all right? Pick up eggs. Uh, take the dog out. Are you going to pick up the kids? A simple question like this. Are you going to remember to pick up the kids after school? Now, you, in that one simple question, there's so much that could be in that message. Remember, as if I never remember. You, you see where we can go with this? And some of y'all are getting shaking your heads because you know what I'm talking about. And so this whole communication thing is an art. <laughs> By all means, it's an art. But it's also a science. And so trying to figure this out is not going to be easy, to say the least. Go study Hebrew or Greek, and, I'll, and it'll, be, it'll be easier than this. In fact, I remember a phone call I got one time from a person who was a relative of mine, and this person was extremely mad at me for something. All right, I'll just leave it at that. And he just lays into me, lays it all out on the table, tells me this, drops a few F-bombs in there, and hangs up the phone. Whoa! I mean, I didn't even get a chance to give the other side of the story. I didn't even have a chance to, to rebut. I didn't have a chance to even say I was sorry if I was completely wrong. But this person, this relative, had determined all of the evidence from this other side and just unloaded it on, onto me. That is a monologue, all right? That's not a dialogue. We are hopefully moving in our marriage, in our relationships, with our teams, on the job. Hopefully we can have dialogues where there's communication going back and forth and it's not a one-way street. You have to really think about that as you, as, you, as you move forward because the Scripture does make it plain to us that we should tell the truth, but we should tell it in love. So it's not necessarily, that's in Ephesians 4, verse 15, it's not necessarily, did I say the truth, did I tell the truth, I, I got the truth out there, but did you give it in such a way that it's palatable? Did you give it in such a way that it can be received? Did you give your view in a way that a dialogue could take place? Or did you give it and you spoke your mind and let them deal with it? I, I got the last word in. I'm going to let them deal with it. Think about the levels and the ways that we communicate. Healthy communication, if you will, that we'll kind of use as our springboard for this entire series is it is speaking authentically and lovingly while listening openly and respectfully. Hopefully we can learn from scriptures 
how we can speak authentically and lovingly, but while at the same time listening openly and respectfully. How can I go there? How can I get there? Because if your filters are dirty, (laughs) it's going to be really hard to listen, okay, openly and respectfully. If your filters are dirty, you're probably not going to be fully transparent and authentic. You're not going to do it lovingly because you've got a point to drive home. And all of this are bad habits that we get because of dirty filters, because of bad communication. And I can tell you this now, and I'll say it probably throughout the rest of the series. If there's any one single issue that I deal with, and it's not money, and it's not extramarital affairs, and it's not some of the other biggies out there, it's not indebtedness, the number one issue that I see in my office in dealing with couples is we can't communicate. We can't resolve conflict. So when you come to a series like this, it's pretty big to say, hey, okay, you know what, this is very relevant for me. This is very relevant for where we are. And maybe it's not today, but I'll tell you what, there will be situations in marriage and parenting and whatever where you're going to have to learn to speak authentically, lovingly, and listen openly and listen respectfully. There's no better example, and of course the answer is always Jesus. There's no better example than Jesus, all right? And so I want us today to lay our foundation by just looking at one scenario in the life uh, of Jesus. But I want us to understand that Jesus, first of all, he was a master communicator, all right? He's a master communicator. The scripture makes that abundantly clear. It says it multiple times, once whenever he's at the end of the Sermon on the Mount by the Sea of Galilee and also in Mark's account. It mentions it when he's in the synagogue in Capernaum. This is what it says about Jesus. And they were astonished at his teaching. For he taught them as one who had authority, not as the scribes. When Jesus spoke, people understood. People were challenged. It wasn't just that it was put on the first grade level. He had a way with words. He had an authority about him. He had the ability to communicate and it be heard. Properly heard. See, I want you to understand this about communication. It is not you getting your message out. It is you articulating your message, but it being received on the other side to the point that it can come back to you almost exactly as you sent it. And see, if it comes back dirty and polluted from the other side, there's, there's, a, there's a kink in the communication. And so whenever it can flow, free flow through that circle, through that, through that loop, that process of communication, and it can flow smoothly and come back with the same intent and the same message as it went out, then there's good communication. Jesus was able to communicate and people were to, able to latch on to it. Then Jesus was asked many questions. And you know the stories of Jesus. He only answers three questions directly. That's an interesting concept. He was, as, as a speaker, he was a very good speaker, but it wasn't, his, it wasn't his gig to debate. Even though he had a lot of times to debate the Pharisees and the Sadducees, it wasn't about the debate. In fact, many times what he would do when he was asked a question, he would turn around and ask a question. Which brings me to the next thing. Jesus was a model listener. He was able to listen. Listen to to deeper than maybe we do. Because, again, what we have reduced communication down to is we've reduced it down to me saying what I feel and getting it out there. 
It is so much more than that. Jesus asked 183 questions in the Gospels. Think about it. 183 questions. He was a person who was not only a speaker, master teacher, known as the rabbi. That was his nickname. But he was a great teacher, maybe because he was a great listener. In fact, the most common question that Jesus asked, and he asked 183 of them, was one example in Matthew 20, 32. What do you want me to do for you? Think about that. Think about the simplicity of that. Think about the genuine authenticity of that. How can I be of service to you? Think about it. Even Jesus said, He said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. He talks about listening, listening, listening. It's just as important as communicating. So let me say it again. When successful living communication circle is flowing through the home, we will speak authentically, lovingly, while listening openly and respectfully. If you have your Bibles, be looking at John chapter 4. We're going to look at one scenario. There's multiple scenarios where Jesus encounters people, individuals, along his way. The chapter just prior to this, John chapter 3, when he encounters Nicodemus, we have in John chapter 4 where he encounters this woman at the well. Now this woman at the well is a very unique situation because Jesus isn't supposed to, or Jews aren't supposed to talk to Samaritan. They don't even go to Samaria. In fact, they go around Samaria to avoid Samaria, to avoid getting uh, becoming unholy and unclean. And I want you to hear, Lori's going to come and share in the first person as if she was the woman at the well. So listen to this. I'm really excited to come and share my story with you today, mostly because I've shared my story all over the village where I'm from, from Sychar. And the thing is, is about this story is it's, it's a really small story, but it's this one conversation that I had with this guy that completely changed my life. It was, a, it was a typical day, and I was on the way to this well, and I had waited until about noon until all the other women had come back from the well. And it's not because I didn't want to be with the other women at the well. I did. It's just that they knew the reputation that I had. And so it was just easier not to be there with them, to hear their ridicule or, or even to see their looks. You know how looks can even speak. And so I'm on my way to the well, and... And as I'm going, I see that there's this guy, and he's sitting beside the well. And at first, because of the reputation that I had among men, you can imagine the panic that overcame me. But as I got closer, I could see that he was a Jew. And I actually, I felt a little bit of relief because Jews and Samaritans, they had nothing to do with each other. And so I went on, and I got to the well, and and I just, I really, I just remained focused. And I was drawing water up at the well, and, and then he asked me this question. He broke through this barrier that was supposed to be there. And he said, will you give me a drink? And I just, I looked around to make sure nobody else was listening or paying attention. I said, sir, how is it that you, being a Jew, are speaking to me? And then he said, if you knew who I was, you would ask me and I would give you living water. Now, my mind is racing. First of all, I don't know what living water, I didn't know what it was. But what he did is he took my words. He, he creatively used my words because I was already thinking, if you knew who I was, if you knew my reputation, you wouldn't be speaking to me. But instead he said, if you knew who I was, as if he had some kind of reputation that I should know about. 
yet I'm still trying to calculate it in my mind. I'm thinking, okay, you're going to draw water, but you have nothing to draw water with. Listen, I even boldly accused him of thinking that he was better than my ancestors who had come here. I mean, my family are the very ones who dug this well. But he was just resolved and confident. And he just said, you know, you come here day after day, you get water, you thirst again, you get water, you thirst again, you come here, you get water, you thirst again. I'm thinking, yeah, so. And he says, but if you drink the water that I give to you, you'll never thirst again. As a matter of fact, it'll be like a well that will spring up inside of you into eternal life. Now, you've got to understand, he's using this word picture. I completely understood what he was saying. Because I know the pattern of going through life day after day, doing the same thing over and over again. But there's something in the way that he said it, that it penetrated my heart. Because it wasn't just in my head. I knew there was something in my life that I craved, I thirst, I wanted freedom, I wanted to be alive. And so I just said, sir, give me this water. I don't ever want to come back here to this well again. And he looked at me and, um, and he just said, go get your husband. And immediately I knew. He knew. He knew who I was. He knew everything. I admit I was a little embarrassed. It stung a little bit, but he spoke truth. So I just said, I, I don't have a husband. He said, you're right. You have five husbands. And the one that you're sleeping with right now, he's not your husband. It wasn't like the other people in the village when they spoke about me. When he spoke, he spoke truth, yes, but he spoke it differently. It was like he spoke it with grace. And it spoke deeply to my soul. I said, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet or something. And I wanted to do what was right. I said, okay, so, so the Samaritans, my people say that we're supposed to worship here, but your people say, no, we're wrong. We're supposed to go over there on that mountain and worship. And I don't know what I'm supposed to do. I want to do what's right. And he said, listen, your people, they worship in darkness. They go around almost guessing at what they're supposed to worship. Yes, the true light and salvation, it will come from the Jews, but I want to tell you this and believe me, there's coming a day that it won't matter where you worship and it won't matter even what you're called because God is seeking those who will worship him in spirit and who will worship him in truth and I immediately I said I know this I've heard this I know that there is a guy who is coming who is called to Christ and he's going to tell us all these things and immediately he said I am him I am Jesus very one who was going to speak truth was the very one who he initiated conversation with me he broke the barrier and he spoke straight to my heart I, I didn't know what to say his, his students his followers came up and they just started going why are you talking to this woman you shouldn't be talking to this woman is there something that we can do and and I ran off but I didn't run because I was afraid I ran because I had something I needed to communicate to all the people back in my village I went back and told them about this guy who told me everything that I had ever done about one small conversation about a man who communicated with me in such a way that he won my heart in one conversation completely changed my life 
this passage of Scripture, there's no way in the amount of time that we have we could do justice. You, if you're on a team, if you or if you're in a family, you, if you're struggling to communicate with your children, I would encourage you to study Jesus and his communication styles. He was a master communicator. He was a model listener for us. And in this one story, and therefore we're not, we're not going to read the whole passage of Scripture as, as Lori has storied it for us as an example to us. I want us to just pull apart some points out of this. Now you can study this passage from a sociological point of view and understand how he redeemed this woman. And you can study it from an anthropological point of view and how he crossed over cultural barriers from a Hebrew to go, going and spending time with Samaritans. You can study it from an incarnational point of view and how Jesus was tired but at the same time he knew everything. And you can see the humanity and the deity of Christ in this passage. This passage is probably one of the richest passages in all the gospel of John. But I want us to see four ways that he communicated. That if we're going to have Christ-like communication, then the master communicator, the, the model listener, then I think we need, to, we need to look closely at these very, very quickly. And all I will do today is just stir the pot, maybe get you thinking in this direction. One is you need to understand about Christ as a communicator. Was Christ's style of communication built bridges and not barriers? He built bridges and not barriers. Very important process here whenever you look at this passage of Scripture and, and Jesus walking up and Jesus leaning against the well and, and from verses 3 to verses 9. Again, I'm not going to read it all. You can read it on your own. And, and, and you, can, you can see how he's weary and he's sitting on the well. And, and, and you just kind of go through the whole story right there. And at this time, this woman comes up. And where it should have been a divide, what already was a built-in barrier because the Jews did not mix with the Samaritans, Jesus breaks it down. He's the one who initiates it. Now, in your relationships, I'll just leave it general today, right now. In your relationships, are you the person who comes to the table with the element of communication, with the item? And do you bring the item and do you drop the item in the room like a bomb? And actually what you end up doing is building up barriers. Are you the person who builds a bridge across to the other person? And builds that bridge and breaks down the barriers, those walls of protection because they you've been authentic but you've been beaten back and so therefore you put up your defenses. Are you a person who's building bridges or building walls? One of the marks of a follower of Jesus is found in Matthew chapter 5, verse 9. When it says, blessed are the peacemakers, they shall be called the sons of God. See, if you are a child of God and if you are living out the Christian faith, if there's animosity between you and your children, it is the person who creates peace that most resembles Jesus. Listen, not the person who wins the argument. It's not the person who proves the point person who makes peace. See, an antagonist, that's the person who builds, builds walls, builds barriers. The antagonist is the one who won't let an issue die. The antagonist is the one who wants to prove a point. The antagonist is the one who keeps bringing up past issues. The antagonist is the one who brings up past failures. The antagonist is the one who will not allow peace to be there, not allow bridges to be there. In your marriage, in your relationship, with your children, with Whomever, with your co-workers, are you a bridge builder? There's a person who 
spoke truth to me one time in a very clear way when he said, Mike, do you realize that you can be wrong and be right at the same time? Or excuse me, you can be right and be wrong at the same time? He caught me completely off guard. I can be right. Yes, I know I'm right. And you can be wrong at the same time. And he wasn't talking about I could be, you know, some muddled up mess. He said, but you can absolutely be right on the point, right on the error, right on the doctrine, right on the, uh, the proposition, right, right, right. But the way you present it, the way you jab it, the way you communicate it is wrong. You can be right and wrong all at the same time. Is your communication building bridges or is it building barriers? Number two, Christ's communication was style is compelling and creative. Now, now, Jesus did not stir away from the truth because truth sometimes will, will run counter to you. It will challenge you because if you're not on course, then whenever you are confronted, and this is where pride comes in, and we'll talk about that in conflict resolution next week, there's going to be elements, a protective element that comes up when you're confronted by someone that you love, when they bring truth to your life, and they've done everything they can to make sure they present it in a loving way, but you still can't receive it. It doesn't mean that you dumb down the truth. Truth is still truth. He starts talking about the water. He starts talking about the well. But he does it in a way that captures the heart, that reaches out there. He does it in, in, in the form of word pictures. He creates a picture for them. And I think sometimes we've got to realize about, about speaking truth and using word pictures, it is actually bringing those two together because that is the science and that is the art. See, the problem is is whenever we communicate and we just make it science, we're just spouting out facts. This is, what the, well, this is the truth. This is the way it's going to be around here. But we don't use a word picture, or we don't capture the heart, or we don't bring in the artistic element to it. We don't do the time to win the person, and it creates a barrier. And they don't understand, it creates division. Their filter gets clogged, and the next time you want to sit down, I don't have time for this, but let me just say this. One of the most heart-wrenching times is when your teenager tells you a true life story. Dad, I don't want to tell, talk to you because you always give all the answers. And what my children wanted to hear is nothing. It's just me listening and just walking with them. But on the back side of that, I, was, I would be able to Communicate in a way, in a loving way, all right? So if I'm the one that's barking out the orders, no, there needs to be that creative element involved there. One filmmaker said it like this, facts go straight to the head, stories go straight to the heart. And you've got to ask yourself, what are you aiming at? If you want to change the person, you go to the heart. If you want to change the way they think about you or about other things, you go to the head. I think it takes a little bit of both. Take a wife, for example. Story's been told probably a hundred times every day, maybe. Whenever this wife had been diligent about making sure everything was right at home, and she was a stay-at-home mom, they were able to. He was able to make enough that that worked out for them. And and 
She did her, her, her responsibilities. The, the role expectations were all clear in the home. This is what I'm going to do. This is what you're going to do. She got the kids' homework done. And, and it, was, it was a beautiful marriage situation for them. It worked out for them. All right? And the, the deal was is that she also prepared the meals. And she would ask her husband, now, when are you coming home? And she, he's about 6 o'clock. It was a pat answer. About 6 o'clock. And then it would be 6.15, 6.30, 6.45, and it began to be kind of a lifestyle pattern for that. And so as this continues on, and she realized this guy's a very punctual guy at work. He's the guy that says if you're, if you're on time, you're late, and if you're, and if you're early, you're on time. That was kind of his mentality. He was always early for his appointments. He was always on time. And was, that was the kind of the way he, he lived out his life. And so but as, as, as you, it's, the story continues, he would never be at home on time. He would always be late coming home, and the food would be cold, and the kids would be hungry, and say, hey, let's eat, let's eat. But he couldn't get to the table. So it was this tension. And so she had to think about, how am I going to communicate this? Because I've told him multiple times that this just isn't working. And so... Instead of being a nag and so forth, she had, she had to get creative. And this is where she told kind of a word picture. She started talking about his friend. You remember your friend? You go and play golf with on Saturdays? Yeah, I remember him. What's the number one thing that frustrates you about him? Well, every time we have a tea time, if it's 9.30, he shows up at 9.45. If it's 10 o'clock, he shows up at 10.30. It doesn't matter what it is. He just can't get there on time. She says, what does that make you feel like? Well, to be honest with you, it makes me feel like my friend really doesn't respect me, doesn't respect our time, and, and so forth. Where are you going with this? And here comes the zinger. You know, when you don't come home and you respect, I, I feel like you don't respect me. And all of a sudden, he saw himself in a different light. Now, did he like it? Did it make him feel, did it give him a warm fuzzy on the inside? Not on your life. His first response was defensive. But she had done everything she could to build a bridge and to speak the truth in a compelling and a clear way. It became conviction at that point. Now, what you do with it at this point, it's up to you. Well, you're going to have to start processing yourself. That's where you as the listener have to start processing it. Jesus confronts this lady, which leads me to the, the, the third element uh, of dealing with this. Christ's communication style touches below the surface. He talks to this woman and he said, and he, he goes from talking about this abstract water and using this creative metaphor of water and living water and it's never going to, you're never going to thirst again. And he moves and he starts talking about her marriage. And sometimes in your communication, sometimes you're, you just fly at that surface level. And you, but you've got to come down and you've got to touch to the real heart of the issue. You've got to get below the surface. And you've got to ask, why, why are you always late? Why is that? And that's where the communication has got to be strong. The bridges have got to be built. That you're going to have to work on it. But what he does from verse 16 to verse 18, again, we've heard the story and I don't have time to read all the verses. But from verse 16 to verse 18, he starts talking about her life and her relationships. He starts getting on the heart level. He could have stayed on the surface level. Now here's a question for you. What's the difference between heart-to-heart communication and head-to-head communication? So many marriages never make it to the heart. They just stay at the head. But when there's a heart wound, when there's a heart that's been broken, 
and we're still dealing with it at a, at a head level, we're not, we're not getting to the issue. And in this situation of this, of this woman and the husband being late, she got to the issue, but she had to get there at the heart level. So are you talking heart to heart? Are you in communication like that? Here's a challenge. Here's some homework for you. This week, I want to encourage you to think of one relationship that is fractured right now. And how can you speak to them at a heart level? Now, that's going to require you to be authentic and vulnerable. And maybe you don't want to go there. It's going to require them to be loving and respectful in their listening. And so if you're in this room, hopefully the tension can be, can be softened a little bit. But hopefully you can begin to communicate at a heart level as Jesus did with the woman at the well. But I want to end with the last part. And there's probably so much more that we could say about this. But Christ's communication style makes the point and wins the person. Very important element. Very important element. What makes the point and wins the person. Now the person who called me and started dropping the F-bomb, who started telling me all the things that I had done wrong, wrong did he win me? No. In, in fact, that conversation ended and it's been pretty flat ever since. So as this conversation ends and, and, and I move on, is that really what you're looking for? Is, are you, is it your desire to win the argument? Because if it is, you just need to take up MMA or something like that. You just need to go fight. Because if you're in a relationship and you're going to relate with people and you're going to have meaningful relationships, you're going to have to not only try to win the point, be right on the point, but hopefully you're going to win the person. And if this 30,000 foot flyover of this passage of Scripture, I want you to understand, what was the outcome of this communication encounter with this woman at the well? What was once a great barrier and a great divide, Jesus comes and because He goes through all these steps of building a bridge to the woman, of speaking truth in a clear and creative and compelling way, because, because he moves forward and, and he gets to the heart of the issue. It wasn't about water. It wasn't about the well. It wasn't about him being tired. It, it wasn't this surface level stuff out there. It was about her heart. And therefore, she talked about heart and worship and spirit and truth and so on and so forth. And, and, and what happens in the end? She leaves her pot. The very thing that took her down there, that took her to encounter Jesus, you'll read that she leaves her pot and she goes back to the village and she tells everyone in the village, come meet the man who told me everything about my life. Everything I'd ever done. Now, did he do that? Everything? Everything that he'd ever done? I, I don't think he did that. But she felt so exposed. Listen. So exposed, but still so embraced by the Savior Jesus Christ that she was willing to expose it all before Him, to bear it all before Him. And I wonder, in multiple relationships today, yes, we can talk about your marital relationship, your dating relationship, your relationship with your children, and how well you communicate and do you build bridges, but I just want you also to realize 
that Jesus Christ entered into this world, entered into your life, and he communicates with you as he builds a bridge to you, as he communicates to your heart level so that he might win you. And the point that we're all sinners in need of a Savior is absolutely bold throughout Scripture. But I don't want us to walk out of here and not realize that he wants Just as Jesus embraced this woman in her emptiness and her broken relationships, He wants to embrace you. And I tell you what, if you communicate to your spouse, I accept you, warts and all. Children, I accept you. You can be vulnerable before me. You can tell me about your mistakes. You can tell me when you got stupid late night, one night. And we'll work through this together. And I will still embrace you and accept you. And you're talking about building relationship communications there that are healthy. I wonder, do you sense, do you know, do you live in a relationship with Jesus where you know that he loves you and is embracing you? Let's pray together. With every head bowed and just every person just going inside themselves and thinking on multiple levels today, I know thinking on a relationship level of people that we know in our lives. And that's certainly where we're going to be talking about over the next few weeks. But it would be so amiss, so so, uh, much a mistake to come to this passage and not point out the Jesus Savior and friend element. And how this woman, so shattered and so messed up, had a very clear and compelling message given to her. That you are loved. You are accepted. No matter where you've been. And so if you're here today and you are not in a full relationship with Jesus Christ, I would pray that you would embrace Him, reach out to Him, say, Jesus, I want you as my Savior, my friend. I want you to hear me when I heard. I want to hear you when you speak truth into me. Lord Jesus, bow as we bow before you now, Lord, speak to us, challenge us, help us to know and embrace you as you are reaching out, building a bridge to us, embracing us intimately. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand? Would you sing with us?